0: You are listening to God the NBA: Marketing Beyond Ambition Podcast, Episode 012.
1: Welcome to The Godly MBA, Marketing Beyond Ambition. This is the only podcast that will share and teach actionable and biblical marketing strategies to empower you, the
0: value-based business owners and Christian entrepreneurs.
1: Learn to communicate your message effectively in this noisy world so
0: you can finally earn more,
1: serve more, and give more. Now, here is your host, Kelly Botter.
0: Hello. Katie Butler here. Welcome to Godly NBA Podcast. I am so grateful that you are here. I know you have many, many choices, so thank you. You know, once a while, we found ourselves extremely blessed and lucky to meet a kindred spirit out of air. Well, as God divinely place the connection in the right moment and the right place. Today, our guest, Paul Boak, is that kindred spirit. His brand is The Boak World. Paul is an international speaker, author of four books on digital and respected figure in the web community. He has over 20 years of experience in the web and 10 years of blogging and speaking. As a result, he has been an inspiration to a generation of digital professionals. As impressive as the above sounds, what really left a mark on my heart and soul after the interview is this God does care about our business. God does care about our personal life. In fact, He is the one enables us to create the business as our salt and light to the world. And that, when we carry our right, we will be truly blessed and impact lives. But we do also need to realize that comes with certain responsibilities, which we ought to fulfill. And Paul is such a role model to follow. By now, if you think this conversation will be serious and heavy, well, I'm sorry, but you are wrong. I don't know. When was the last time I laughed till my tummy hurts? This is one of those moments. So, Yes, the topic is important, but I think we did a good job laughing through it, and hopefully that make the impact and add the value for you as well. Now, let's check with Paul. Hello, Paul. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Oh, I'm really pleased to be here. I'm, I'm glad you've given me the opportunity. I always like chatting with other people.
0: Well, we have to thank our mutual friend Ian Anderson Gray to yeah. introduce us.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen Ian, so it's, uh, it's uh, nice that he still remembers me.
0: <laughs> so, Paul, would you mind kind of sharing with us that, you know, where you are from and a little bit your entrepreneurial journey that how did you become this leader in the digital and user experience field?
1: Oh, how? how uh, uh, where to begin? So when I started out in my career, the web wasn't really a thing. The internet was, but the web wasn't particularly. So I trained as a a graphic designer. And while I was doing my degree, there was a a little post-it card up in the art studio where I did my work saying that IBM was looking for interns. So I applied for this and I was fortunate enough to get it. And God was such so in even that. The fact that, first of all, I spotted that card where nobody had mentioned it. Nobody, you know, had said anything about it, that I'd spotted it. And then on top of which, I applied for the job and I got turned down. Somebody else beat me to it. He was a really great guy, very, very talented, much more experienced than me in the kind of digital field. And yet they decided, Do you know what, let's take two in turns instead of one. So that was my my first real break. And I worked on the first ever multimedia PCs that uh, IBM produced. So the first PCs were sound cards and CD-ROMs. And I worked on various multimedia CD titles for them. And then towards the end of that year, and here comes the second break that I, I, I put down to God. Towards the end of that year, we started to get a few requests to do web stuff, right? Right. And nobody wanted to touch it with a barge pole because the web was so boring then. It was gray backgrounds. It was centered text. You know, you couldn't even do table-based layout, you know. So none of the proper designers wanted to touch it. So, so what did they do? They gave it to the intern, the kind of second intern at that, the one that had just scraped in by the, you know, the skin of his teeth. So I started working on the web. Um, I spent three years there doing work with them, and then I moved on to a dot com company, and spent a long, long time at that dot com company until, like all dot com companies, it, it exploded, um, and you know it, it, the, they miss you know they misinvested and all the rest of it. So, towards the end of that time, we'd been asked by the senior management team. Sorry, this is a long answer, but it kind of shows what God uh, has done in my life. So. Towards the end of that, the the kind of shareholders asked us as a senior management team whether we could do something to save the company. So we changed it into a a digital agency. And we were very, very successful and it went very well. But eventually the parent company and all of its debts and stuff pulled us under. Now, towards the end of that, God had made me or I thought God had made me a promise. Well, he had made me a promise. He made me a promise that one day I would run my own agency. So towards the end of this, as we saw the the major company going going under, we started to think, well, why don't we set up our own agency and take those clients with us? But I did the classic Abraham thing. You know how Abraham was given a promise by God that his offspring would be more than the kind of, you know, the sand and, you know, all the rest of it. And so he was thinking, I'm getting older, I'm getting older. It's not going to happen. So he slept with his wife's servant, and as a result, he kind of effectively preempted God. And that is exactly what I did. So me and a group of people from the company decided we were going to set up an agency before our current company went under. And it was an absolutely unmitigated disaster from beginning to end. I hurt a lot of people's feelings. They felt like I was going behind their back. It was a nightmare. But God is good. And so when the company went under, which it inevitably did, we then set up. And we were profitable from month one. We took a load of the clients with us because, of course, the clients could now come with us because they, the old company no longer existed and they were desperate for help. So we were kind of just overwhelmed with work from day one. And we built up an agency over a period of years. Now, and this, this is the next real blessing by God, the real great thing. So then one Christmas, I got given an iPod nothing very excited about that but I got given an iPod just as iTunes and Apple started to support podcasting okay so what I did is the first thing I did is immediately go oh I want to listen to a web design podcast you know this is really exciting so off I go to look for a web design podcast nothing right there was a podcast on knitting for crying out loud but nothing for us techies nothing on web design and so I thought Oh, I'll have a go at this. Can't be that difficult, can it? Right? So I set up this podcast just at the perfect moment. So I had 100% monopoly on anybody vaguely interested in web design, they had to listen to me. And that was a huge boost to my career and my exposure and people got to know me. Then I started getting invited. I got invited to speak in Orlando, which for me was a huge deal. I'd only ever been to America once before. And so it went on. Then out of that came a book deal and it just spiralled from there. All because I happened to get an iPod and I happened to be in right at the very beginning of that opportunity. And so, yeah, that's my journey. So I ran the agency for 13 years, and then eventually I decided to set up as an independent consultant because loads of things changed in my life, which I'm sure we'll get on to later. And I've, yeah, I've been enjoying a very relaxed, very cool, very happy lifestyle. I'm sure people listening to this are now hating me deeply for, you know, just the, the ease of my life. God has been t- I don't understand. I honestly don't understand why... And this is something I honestly struggle with as a Christian, why some people seem to struggle so much in their Christian walk, in their life. And yet God is so generous to me. And so I feel this constant obligation to give back, to give back, to give back, because he keeps giving to me. I can't, I can't outgive him. It's, it's a very frustrating experience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, Paul. You know, I got to say, just for saying yes to this podcast interview, you are giving back big time, (laughs) right? For me, it's like, your journey. I love how you just weaving in the Abraham thing. I'm sure we all did that. You know, just let me help God about yeah, it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm still terrible at that now. You'd think I'd have learned, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, that after a massive mess up like that, but I still, all the time, I have to remind myself of that failure. And to be honest, I you know, it's about how God can bring good out of any circumstance. If I hadn't failed like that, how many times would I have gone in like, like a bull in a china shop you know pushing god you know pushing 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 when i should just wait on god and that is inherent in me as my personality probably because i'm an entrepreneur it's always wanting to push forward always on to the next thing and so i needed that failure to hold me back and to say no just wait on god's timing and
0: stuff i wonder is it something to do with your name
1: why why what what do you th- what what about my name
0: well- you know, Paul in the Bible, Uh huh. you know. Yeah, he was quite a
1: pusher, wasn't he? Tricky yeah, yeah. Top. yeah.
0: <laughs> so, well, Paul, so can you share with us now the many, the, which audience you're working with now?
1: Yeah, so when I set up as an independent, it was interesting. Running an agency was a great experience and I, I did it with two other people. One of those was actually a Christian like myself, but the, the other person wasn't and he's the best guy in the world and I pray for him often and he's just absolutely awesome but as a result he had a slightly different perspective on the world you know and so I had this you know this desire to give 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 but and he does he's a generous guy don't make you know I'm not making him out to sound miserable but when I went as a consultant by myself suddenly I had all this freedom to run the business as I wanted to run it so I thought I'm going to focus on the kind of business that I most enjoy doing, which is not for profit business. To be honest, we'd kind of headed in that direction anyway. It kind of happened naturally. I'm sure God kind of just, you know, allowed things to go in that way. But now I could double down on that. So essentially what I do, I do do some commercial work still. We can get into a little bit more about how that works in a minute. But essentially most of my time I'm working with charities or um, government bodies or uh, higher education institutions, people that make some kind of difference to the world. They're not just trying to add shareholder value. Not that there's anything wrong with that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know everybody needs to make a living. But for me, that those are the kinds of projects that are more interesting. So essentially, I'm spending a lot, a lot of my time helping charitable organisations to increase you know the amount of donations they're making you know they're getting or to engage more with their supporters or to mobilize their volunteers all that kind of stuff
0: yeah so that is fantastic i think this is i know that you know uh many of my audience they are in that field would you mind then share with us in Today's DNA, I mean, digital wise, yeah. I mean, some tips of fundraising or how to engage your volunteers. Can you share some of those with us?
1: Yeah, I mean, over the years, I've seen some really great stuff. The, the, intri- the thing I love, I can be very unscrupulous when it comes to improving charity giving. And I'll tell you why. Because if you ask anybody on the planet, right, any, or certainly Western society, Would you like to give more to charity? Every single person would say yes, right? Everybody wants to do this, right? So as far as I'm concerned, that now gives me carte blanche to manipulate, to cajole, to encourage, to do whatever I can to get people to give because they say they already want to do that, right? I'm only getting them to do what they already want to do. And there's a great book called Nudge, that talks about this, this idea of what they call parental liberalism, that you should allow people to do what, you, what they want to do, but you should nudge them in the direction that really they should go. So to give you a non-digital example before I go on to some digital techniques, organ donation, right? Okay, people should have the freedom not to donate their organs if they want to upon death. But what about if you change the default over right? So instead of the default being your organs won't be given, right? And you have to opt in to give your organs, change it around the other way. You have to opt out. People still have the freedom to do what they want to do, but it will create a lot more organ donations. And the reason why is because people are inherently lazy, right? And this is all to do with psychology, okay? And it's all to do with our lizard brain. Now, is it, this is... Very controversial, and I'm sure some of your listeners won't necessarily agree with me. But in the Bible, it talks about the flesh, doesn't it? Okay. And how, you know, we're driven and controlled by the flesh. In my mind, okay, the flesh is the equivalent of our lizard brain, that most basic primeval part of us. The bit of us that's fight and flight, that's worried about, you know, Eating and surviving and sleeping and all of those kinds of really basic drivers. So all the time, as human beings, as as people with you know consciousness and a soul and a spirit, we're trying to to be more than that base animal. We're trying to be more than just the flesh. Okay? So we could do things to trick the flesh. All right? Bear with me, I'm going somewhere with this, honestly. So So let's say, for example, people want to give. Now, the reason they don't want to give is because of that lizard brain, because of the flesh that says I have to hold on to things. I can't let go. What if it's taken away from me? What if suddenly I get hungry? What if I can't afford to feed my family? What if, what if, what if? And it imagines all these awful scenarios. So we never get around to actually giving because Mm. we always think we can't afford it right now. Maybe we can afford it in the future. So one thing that I've done with charitable giving to trick the lizard brain, because the lizard brain lives in the moment. It lives in the now. It can't plan ahead. So what you say is, okay, so instead of giving today, give when you next get a, give a pay rise. Commit now. You know you're going to get a pay rise in January. So commit to start a new direct debit starting in January, right? Hmm. So because it's in the future... Your lizard brain will allow you to do it. It will say, oh, that's a problem for another day. I don't need to worry about that now. And so when January comes around, you get the pay rise and you just start giving. And actually a huge amount of the stuff that I do is based on on psychology and how we think. So another example to encourage giving is you talk about social proof. If somebody you know gives, right, you're more likely to give yourself. Even if a stranger, if you see a lot of people take the ice bucket challenge, the reason everybody started doing that is because everybody else was doing it. We're sheep, we follow the crowd, right? So you can use that on your website. You can, it was a great thing I saw on the Greenpeace website, and I wish I'd been the one that came up with it, but I wasn't, which had essentially, you know, John has just signed this petition and Rachel has just, you know, given 20 pounds and it had all this kind of social proof on the homepage of other people that were actively engaging and it made you want to do it as well. But maybe you could take that a step further. Often the easiest way for people to log into websites these days is to log in with Facebook or Twitter or things like that. You've probably done it yourself. So what if, People were logging in via Facebook onto a charity site. Now that social proof on the homepage might be John, your mate, has given £20. Or uh, Jill, your friend, has signed this petition. Now that's even more powerful. So there's loads of stuff you can do around psychology and around the way that we think to actually encourage people to give more and to do more. Um, and I could go on and on about little, little tricks and tips. You know, um, I've written an article that if you Google calls to action is one of the first ones to come up where I kind of go through 10 kind of principles to calls to action that kind of, you know, a lot of which use psychology to motivate people.
0: So, Paul, yeah, I would like to put that actually in the show note. Yeah, maybe later on you can just give me a link. And how about when you come to the engaged volunteers?
1: Engaging volunteers is about kind of building a community, really. It's about mm-hmm. kind of bringing together because um, it almost goes back to what I was saying a minute ago about um, the idea of, of social proof. And none of us want to, you know, so if us, let's say I like, I don't know. I know. I've got here a little kind of collectible bobblehead toy in my hand. It's the first thing I found on my desk. Let's say I was obsessed about little bobblehead toys, right? Now, I might feel vaguely embarrassed about being obsessed with little bobblehead toys because I might think no one else is obsessed about that. Right. So I'll keep quiet about it. I won't tell anyone. I won't engage with it. And often I think this is true as Christians as well, that we, you know, we we we're surrounded by non-Christians. So we feel like the odd one out and we stay quiet. But here's the thing. You put us if we go away to a, a you know, a, a, like um, a Christian festival right? We're surrounded by thousands of other Christians, aren't we? And so we get fired up and enthused because we're not alone. We're not Mm -hmm. by ourselves. And equally, if I find that there's a community online that collects little bobbleheads as enthusiastic as me, I now feel empowered. I feel empowered to say that I'm obsessed with little bobbleheads, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'm a follower of Jesus or whatever it be, okay? Now it's exactly the same with the charity. If you get people talking to one another. If you get your volunteers engaging with one another, rather than feel like they're working on their own, then suddenly they feel empowered. Suddenly they feel engaged. So essentially what digital can do is connect your volunteers. It can get them talking to one another via Facebook groups, via, you know, know, all kinds of different methods, right? And that's what you want to do. So that Combined with giving your volunteers a sense of ownership, that in some way they're shaping the direction and future of the charity, so they feel like they're contributing and can and can bring about change and can bring about things to be different, then you'll have an empowered, passionate group of people. And to be honest, you can use those principles, whether you're talking about a charity, a church, a business, whatever. It's about bringing people together, forming a community and giving that community power to change things.
0: I just about to say that principle alone also can apply to, yeah, for profit as well, mm. because people really want to be part of something that like bigger bigger themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And
1: also it's about shaping self-identity as well. This is another kind of key component here is that we have A self image. We have a way that we perceive ourselves. So I perceive myself as a geek, right? And I also perceive myself as a Christian. So that's kind of how I perceive myself. So now what I do is I do things that reinforce or show the world that I am what I am, right? So I wear geeky t shirts, okay? You know, I listen to Christian music. I kind of surround myself with things that reinforce my self-image. So as a result, if you're a for-profit, okay, you can find an audience, going back to my bobblehead example, let's say you sell bobbleheads, right? So essentially what you're doing is you're finding a community or creating a community of people that are into fun toys or into kitsch and kind of, you know, that kind of stuff. And then you mobilize them, get them talking to one another, and what will that do? They'll buy more of your products because they want to surround themselves with things that reinforce that self-identity, right? So that's why typically, say, a charity might give away T-shirts to people that give a lot of money because then those people can wear the T-shirt and basically say, I'm supporting this charity. I'm part of that tribe. It goes back to almost kind of very kind of earlier hunter-gatherer stages in in our lives where we want to be a part of a tribe. We're us, they're them. You know, there's still that in us. And so our tribes, instead of being, you know, the tribe – you know, in this area, our tribes now are the tribe of, of geeks or the, the tribe of, you know, I don't know, knitters or whatever it be.
0: Yeah, that reminded me, like, I remember uh, I had an uh, honor, have about five minutes to chat with uh, Simon Sinek. You know, the book also starts with why. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then he mentioned why Apple is a company successful. And then mm-hmm. he used an example very neat. He said, you know, if it's in the airport and you walk past by a grandma that sat there with her MacBook Pro, Yeah. and then you are Apple user too. So you pass by her and then you kind of yourself, you both look at each other and yeah. kind of feel like, you know, we are, we are part of a family yeah. or something.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the other, the other um, uh, great example of that is we, we have a motorhome, right? And motorhome people, wave at one another when they drive past each other on the road, why? You don't wave at other car drivers, but there is something, there's a kind of tribe, a little community there of people that wave at one another. It's like people that drive Volkswagen Beetles, for example, or camper vans. They, they've they got a little tribe, a little community. And communities are really powerful. You know, that goes back to Christianity and what Jesus taught in the Bible. He talked about us being part of the church, part of the vine, and that disconnected from the vine, we die. We are designed. God has designed us. Us as desiring community, desiring relationship, and you know, as Christians, we know that that comes from community with God and and, uh, and relationship with God. But you know, a lot of other people are trying to find it in different places. You know, and they're they're seeking that sense of community that was built into us from the very beginning.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, Paul, let's switch the direction a little bit. Like, I really love in your website. Yeah. You have a place called Not So Hidden Agenda. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Can you share with us what that agenda is?
1: Well, this this goes back to what I was saying earlier about when um, I set up the consultancy that suddenly I had the freedom to do exactly as I wanted. All right. I'm very conscious that my job is primarily solving first world problems. Right. So... Yeah, when you go to, the kind of thing that I get gets me up in the morning, right, is solving things like you going to a website and getting frustrated because it's difficult to use, okay, and, uh, you know, those little user experiences that frustrate us so much, and it's but, you know, I think that's a good thing to do because our lives are full with stress, aren't we? We live in this stressful world. And if I can, you know, solve that most basic, you know, those little frustrations and make your day just a little bit better, I get satisfaction from that. But, you know, it's hardly the basics of life is it you know as westerners you know people in in first world countries we've got our basic needs you know we're getting stressed over tiny little things like a website slightly annoying i mean you know in the grand scheme of things that's fairly pathetic So I felt almost a little bit embarrassed in a way that that I was spending so much of my energy and so much of my life solving these first world problems when there are so many more profound problems in the world. And although, yes, in Western society were plagued by depression and overwork and pressure, I couldn't run a business. I couldn't do what I did day in, day out without acknowledging those bigger issues. So... What I've done, part of it is that I primarily work with not-for-profits, right? So I have a base rate that I charge, okay? And I charge that to government bodies, to universities, to people like that. If you're a charity, right, I have a much lower rate that I charge, okay? So that's kind of me helping a little bit charities. Then if you're a commercial organization who come to work with me, I'm really upfront that I'm going to sting you. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to (laughs) charge you a premium. And that premium, I will take and then give to charity. Okay. So if you're a commercial client, whether you like it or not, you're having to give some money to charity. All right. Then on top of that, I give I tithe in the business as well. So I give to one specific charity, which is a, a school and an orphanage that is run in very rural India. Um, and they, they invest a lot of time in helping young girls get an education. You know, in India, there are some appalling facts about how few girls get educated. You know, how a lot of girls in rural India are married off at the age of 13 you know, and have their first child at 14, 15 years old. Uh, and so these people do a lot of work to deal with those kinds of things. And so I support that. And it's a really tiny charity, which is wonderful because it means that my, my little bit of giving makes an enormous difference to them. So yeah, that, that's basically what I do. I force corporates to give to charity whether they want to or not. I discount... To charities as much as i can and i give to those people in india that i know personally in fact i'm going out to see them next month for the first time and i am so excited about getting to see the project and getting to meet the kids and stuff
0: i'm so excited for you well yeah. my situation i wasn't you know in that dramatic situation but when i was little and you know i was abandoned by a father and that was in the age of you know in asia You know, girls were not valued. So I I surely can relate that. So since uh, we are on this topic, can we talk about your perspective in social responsibility Mm -hmm. as a first world Christian entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you put the Christian bit in there. The reason being is because I don't think we can expect the rest of the world necessarily to kind of view things with the same values that we do. And I don't think we can force our values on other people. So so I look at, you know, well, for example, my my co-founder of the previous company, right? You know, he had different values. And I could have got really annoyed at him that he wasn't doing more for charity. He wasn't doing more, you know, the kind of... But actually, I don't because well, he doesn't know God. He doesn't know, have a relationship with Jesus. He, he comes from a d- very different starting point. So, so that's fine. Right. So what's our social responsibility? That's a very interesting question. I consider myself, all right, I think what God has called me to is to be a full-time giver. Right. So we talk a lot as Christians about, you know, going out into the mission field. We talk a lot about going and, and changing, you know, uh, you know, working with the poor and all of those kinds of things. And I have got utter respect for people that do that. So for example, Sarah and Simon that run that project out in India. I grew up with Sarah and the life that Sarah lives and Simon as well it is a life I couldn't lead, okay? I have not got it in me to make the kinds of sacrifices that they have made. And so I've got ultimate responsibility but the truth is, God needs full time givers as well. Sarah and Simon couldn't do what they do without my support. All right, well, not just me. <laughs> How arrogant does that sound? With a
0: financial support.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and so, I think as Christian entrepreneurs, right, are what God is calling us to, because we have an entrepreneurial spirit, right? We have that built into our characters. And I think sometimes we can be made to feel guilty that we're we're in the business world rather than, you know, looking after children in the gutters of wherever. But God is calling you to be a full-time giver. God is calling you to make your business as successful as possible, but you have to give. You have to give and give and give. And as I said at the beginning, I've never been able to outgive God. The faster I give away, the faster he gives back to me. And actually, I'm not a theologian, but I think that is the only time in the Bible God has told us to test him and see. Right, you know it's this, it talks about tithing and it talks about and that he'll give it back, pressed down, or something like that. I can't remember the exact words, and that God really really honors that. I cannot overstress that. you know there have been times when something's come along and some situation and God's you know asked me or I felt that God's asked me to give, and I'm always happy to give to God, if I know it's God, but you're never quite sure, are you? There's always that, oh, have I got this right? Am I misjudging this situation? Is this really God or is it just what I think I should do? And I've given to the point that it's hurt, to the point where I wonder whether it's going to break my business. But it never has. God has always provided and always been good. So my short answer, well, it's not a short answer now, is it? I talk a lot. I'm sorry.
0: No, Um, no. It's fantastic.
1: The short summary is God is calling us to be full-time givers. God is calling us to build successful businesses so we can build his kingdom. That's what I believe.
0: Paul, I mean, I'm so... Grateful that you point this out. a Couple points. One is, yeah, a lot of us we feel like guilty, it's like we are. It seems that we are not in the front line, yeah. you know, right there physically. But also the mindset of money, of mm-hmm. uh, prosperous, is you know in materializing, in profit. Well, if just like you say, Sarah and William, you know, if without the financial support, is that possible? I mean, they only had two bodies. Yeah, two people. And so I'm glad you pointed out and we have the responsibility really to be as successful as we are so that we can give. Yeah, we cannot give what we don't have really. Yeah. Now have that say what is your perspective about work and life balance? Because, you know, yeah. Paul, both of us, we can relate that many entrepreneurs or business owners, or especially in the nonprofit field, actually. Sometimes mm. we feel it's a calling, you know, look at the ministers, pastors, and, mm-hmm. and things. We feel that well, there's a calling and more than just a job. And, and then we saw family brought down. We saw yeah. divorce rate, you know, going up. So what is your perspective about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is very close to my heart personally because when I ran the agency, well, I started in the do- when I ran, worked at the dot-com company. The dot-com company was just insane. You know, you were working all the time. There was immense pressure. Um, and then I went from that straight into running my own business, you know, and the fear of, is this going to succeed? I remember waiting to meet with a client in the very early days of the agency, you know, and we really needed this client. And uh, I, I arrived a bit early and I, was, I went into a newsagents just to kind of waste a bit of time. And I actually threw up in the newsagents from, from fear and nervousness and stress. And I eventually burnt out. And one day I just got in the car and started to drive and drive and drive and drive. And I ended up on my parents' doorstep As a, you know, in my mid thirties on my parents' doorstep, I rang their doorbell, my mum opened the door and I just burst into tears as a, you know, a near middle aged man. And I, in the end, I had to go on antidepressants, I had counselling, you know, and and so I kind of learned an enormous amount through that, that work can take over. And I think as an entrepreneur, we start off with all these very idealistic views of running a business. You know, we think, oh, we can be our own boss finally. You know, we're not gonna have anyone telling us what to do. We're gonna go, oh, we can! I can spend more time with the family and, you know, and it'd be wonderful. And in fact, you end up working longer hours and you're a much tougher boss than any boss ever was. And also something weird happens. Instead of the business facilitating your lifestyle, you end up facilitating the business. The business becomes like a monster. I always compare it to, I've never watched it, but in Rocky Horror Show, right? There's this giant plant monster thing called Seymour that always wants feeding, right? And that's what your business becomes. It always needs feeding. It always needs more and more of you. And you have to put a stop to that. You have to control that. You have to set a line. And you say, I can't, but you can, you just stop doing it. And if it falls apart, it falls apart, right? God doesn't want to make you to make yourself feel sick. He doesn't want you to be ill because the truth is you cannot run your business effectively if you're in that state. You cannot run your business effectively and be that full-time giver that God has called you to if the support of your family falls away because you're not supporting them. You have to look after yourself primarily. And I'll tell you, right, I'm, one of the ways that I took control of my life after I, I got so depressed was using a methodology called Getting Things Done. It's a great book by a guy called David Allen. I would encourage you to put a link in the show notes to it. Yeah, I will and, do. And it's a way of organizing yourself. And one of the key principles that I love, is, I mean, it's basically task lists. That's what it boils down to. It's a lot of facts here, but it's basically about making lists. But one of the key things that I love that he says is, don't differentiate between work task lists and home task lists, personal. Have it all mixed up together because then you're giving equal priority to both. You're seeing both side by side. And I wish I could show you a screenshot of my task list Because all of the things I've got to do are organized into these overall life goals, all right? And these life goals are all organized in terms of priority. So any project that comes into my life has to fit under one of these life goals. If it doesn't, I won't do it, all right? And I'll read you the list from top to bottom. Yeah, and then we
0: can include that in the show notes. Okay. I I would just
1: quickly say it because it's not a long list. Yeah. So the very top of that list is be close, to be a close and loving family, right? That is my number one priority, okay? My number two priority, my number two life goal that projects go under is look after myself, right? Number three is experience more, okay? To live life to the full. Number four is encourage others, right? I haven't mentioned work yet, right? Mm -hmm. So all of that comes before my work. Now we get to the the good one, which is the work one, not the good one. That's a terrible thing to say, which is enjoy work, make money, please clients. All right. Then it goes, always learn, build friendships and boring life stuff. Build friendships is a bit far down, really, but I've got encourage others higher up. So everything I do, every project, every task fits under one of those. And it keeps your priorities right every day. Every day when I look at my task list, I see the ones about be a close and loving family at the top above all my work stuff. And that makes an enormous difference.
0: Wow. That is huge. I think so many people actually are familiar with Get the Things Done, that book. Yeah. But the perspective of you know mix up your your life priority together mm-hmm. with your work one that is huge. That yeah. is that's golden.
1: It's about keeping the two equally balanced. You yeah. know yeah uh, you know, and I'm I know I'm in a very privileged position now. That I've built up a reputation and a business and so you know I've now reached the point in life where actually I can I'm effectively working part-time. I blur the lines between work and home all the time. So like after this, I'm off out with the family. But even so, I think getting your priorities right from day one is really important. It's really important.
0: Yeah, I think that even for somebody, I just want to clarify this, somebody that said you, you know that you are still in the maybe starting up stage
1: mm.
0: uh when we when i think when paul says set say a priority right you know sometimes maybe just even put in a calendar okay yeah uh say maybe that's a half hour and you're gonna spend one-on-one time with your child mm-hmm. right it's just mm-hmm. a conversation maybe bill lego or whatever uh. conversation that is right
1: yeah i mean just to, to give you an example of that and you're gonna laugh at this right I have a reoccurring task to do something romantic with my wife, right? And you think, oh, that's, oh, how unromantic to have a task to tell you to be romantic. But putting that task in, why should there? Because we live and breathe our task lists, right? If it's not in our task list, we don't get it done. But we only put work stuff in our task list. So no wonder we spend all our lives doing work. I've got another one, which is uh, another project, which is Be a Good Dad. And that includes loads of tasks in it. You know, like, for example, I've got to put up a load of posters in, in my son's room. And I've got, you know, I've, I'm going to um, make him a stupid little um, poster to go along outside of the stuff. But I've also got things like I have father and son time, which is a reoccurring thing to make sure I do it. So, yeah, make sure the two are side by side. Work and home are equally important.
0: Okay, so now you guys, that's clear. You guys know what we meant now. You know, yeah. it's really nothing to do with that how much money you make no. and things. It's, it's about put a heart in and schedule it, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, can you share with us that any funny or embarrassed moment ever happened oh, in, oh, in this journey? Oh,
1: oh. <laughs> Come on. Uh, just to give you, a, give you a sense of that, right? When I ran the agency, we used to do something called the Muppet Award. Right. So it was a, you know, a Muppet from the Muppets and it was a cuddly toy thing. And if ever someone messed up, they got given the Muppet Award. Right. And it was a way of allowing people to fail without it becoming too serious, you know, because we all mess up from time to time. But we also had a Muppet of the Year Award. Right. Which was for the biggest cock up of the year. And do you know what? Every single year I won it without fail year in and year out i always won the muppet of the year award right i'll give you i'll give you my favorite my favorite all time one which was that so i was it was christmas time and i was going to a family christmas party so we had to drive quite a long way to get to this party and i really really didn't want to go i was just not in the mood right And so being who I am, I was grumbling on Twitter because I spent my whole life on social media. So I I was grumbling and moaning about this because I knew that none of my family looked at Twitter. They, you know, this was years back. So so (laughs) we set off. We set off on this journey. I'd been grumbling all morning about going, we set off on this journey. On the way to the journey, we got stuck in a traffic jam. So I grumbled about that on Twitter. Then we went a bit further, and it was peeing it down with rain as well. The weather was awful. So I drove a little bit further, and then the road was flooded. Oh, for crying out loud, I'm never going to get to this thing. I was just gutted, moaned about it on Twitter. Eventually we got there and we're all sitting around the dinner table and having forced fun like you do at Christmas and I was still as grumpy as anything so I tweeted the following words I tweeted oh for the love of all that is good get me out of here right now don't worry my family didn't see it okay (laughs) I was safe but Twitter placed my location wrong it placed me as being in the middle of a field Right. Fine. No big deal. Nobody would normally worry about that. But what I didn't know is the rain was so bad that there was serious flooding in the area. Okay, And a lot of people were getting stranded. Now, some bright spark, one of my followers on Twitter, right, saw, for the love of all that is good, get me out of here, saw that I was in a field, thought I was in trouble and called the fire brigade. Oh, no. The fire brigade then spent two hours looking for me. Okay. Oh, boy. Eventually I got a call from them saying, we are not amused at you and your prank call. They thought I, you know, and it cost me 50 quid to the firefighters benevolent fund to, to apologize. But here is the final irony. At the time I was designing the firefighters benevolent fund website.
0: Oh, my goodness, Paul. You really, you really deserve that award, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. So welcome to my life.
0: (laughs) Okay, so people, we learned that one key lesson, if you haven't learned anything here from this episode, is don't tweet it when you are grumbling. Really.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like, don't go to bed angry, don't tweet angry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that would have been in the Ten Commandments if it had been written today.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's the 11th one. Yeah. Oh, Paul, uh, now it's difficult to translate to a last question.
1: It's going to be a really serious last question, I yeah, can tell. Yeah, it's a
0: very serious one. Yeah. Okay, go on, go on. Yeah. You
1: can do this. Yeah.
0: So what is one godly MBA moment, meaning the moment that you realize your business is way beyond just a business? Oh, wow. See that now? Yeah,
1: that is, that is from one extreme to the other, and right at the beginning. Right at the beginning of the agency, you remember I talked about the Abraham experience where yep. I tried to set up an agency and it went horribly wrong. When God gave me the agency rather than me trying to make it, it was like the most precious gift in the world. And it was just a wonderful, very moving, very humbling experience to be given that. And over, just over the, the first few weeks of that, even though it was very stressful, I've realized the value of what I was given and that's when I committed it to him. But it's not, it's not really ever been a single moment. It's, you know, being an entrepreneur is an ongoing journey. You know, I told right at the beginning of this, I told you about all of those little moments didn't I over mm-hmm. the journey and it's no individual one. It's about the, you know, it's looking back, isn't it on that, that you see God in it at the time you don't notice. But it's looking back that you see those incredible moments. And, yeah, there's been a lot of them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Especially those grumpy ones as well.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'm very much like, do you know who I associate most with in the Bible? It's Peter, right? Because Peter just charged headlong into every situation. And to be honest, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can associate with that, right? But because Peter was the first out of the boat, wasn't he? he yeah. Everybody concentrates. I hate that story, right? Well, no, I don't. I love the story. I love the story. I hate how it's always told in church. It's always about him sinking, right? Oh, his lack of faith and he sank under the... He was the one that got out of the boat. None of the rest did. And so I am Peter through and through. I will make God promises that I failed to keep, but my heart was in it when I said it. When I said those words, I will never turn away from you. I meant it, you know, and I'm sure Peter did as well. And when I got out of the boat, I thought I could walk on water. I thought my faith was there. And sure, the world gets on top of me sometimes. Sure, sometimes I have this sudden panic of, ah, I'm walking on water. You know, and I start (laughs) to sink as a result because I take my eyes off of God. But at least I'm going for it. And I think that's great. And do you know my favorite quote in the world ever is a quote by Winston Churchill. And this is the motto of my life, right? Which is failure, sorry, success is going from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm, right? And that is me, going from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's so darn right i don't know what to say no <laughs> because myself is same. you know people say you shouldn't write a book in english you shouldn't do the podcast in yeah. english well if i don't do it i don't care what this uh, result of the police podcast but if just one person out there they got inspired and do something yeah with a message and for quite a lot sake, well, I even got a chance to speak with Paul today. <laughs> so, Paul, thank yeah. you so much for your precious time today. And um, wow. Except wow, <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's just you encourage me personally. And uh, I'm sure that you encourage a bunch of us today, whoever is listening to this episode.
1: I hope so. I hope so, so. Because I think that Christian entrepreneurs can feel like second-class citizens you know what we were saying earlier so if you know i would just really encourage people go out and make as much money for god as you possibly can and put it to good use but always remember it's not your money it's god's
0: yeah can I wrap up better than that get out there and make a difference today yeah thank what, what, you paul just, all right thanks very much I trust you have enjoyed this episode as much as I did for all the information we mentioned during the show, please visit kellybother.com forward slash zero one two. Thank you so much for listening. We know you have given us your most valuable treasure, your time, and we don't take it lightly. We truly appreciate it. Did you enjoy the show? If yes, Would you please share, subscribe, and 30 seconds. Just write us your honest reviews on iTunes so my team and I can continuously produce valuable content for you. Don't forget all the goodies we mentioned during the show and my free gift for you. is at katiebother.com. Remember, you matter. See you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Godly MBA podcast. For more actionable marketing tips
1: and strategies and today's show notes, visit
0: www.kellybotter.com.